Welcome to Feel Feelings with Danny and George, the show that talks about feelings and the things that make you feel them. You what guys will never know who we were talking about. Yeah, what an exciting transition from strangers yeah. who will remain strangers to... It's a, it's a mystery. Whatever this is. Uh, Terrible transition. we hold right now. <laughs> <laughs> we're starting on a bad transition. It's, that's good. <laughs> Bad transition for a great episode. I think that's that's fair. This, I mean, this is an episode that I couldn't be more excited that it happened. Like, it's it was a nice self fulfilling prophecy that we mentioned this guest in in a sort of ve- veiled way on our first episode. Yeah, and then by episode what seventeen? This be, is yeah. This will be seventeen. It only took we seventeen episodes to get someone <laughs> who was featured as. The inspiration of another emotion was now on as a guest. That's right, guys. We got Brendan Fraser on the podcast <laughs> today. Uh, no, but I'm sure if we email him, he's got nothing going on. We could probably get him. <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> no, we had uh, Theo Hilton of the band Nana Grizzle on. Yeah, my dance favorite band. <laughs> my favorite band. My absolute like be all end all favorite. And like a lot of the times we're like. Oh, what's your favorite movie? There's like a default answer with, with this one. It's like, it's the answer. <laughs> they are my absolute favorite band. That's crazy. Like they, they have Such... that like fun, weird, like punky, like folk funk stuff that I love. And then just totally shift gears into this melodic place that just, I don't even know how you can do both so perfectly. <laughs> but I, I adore this band. And yeah. Yeah, Theo is incredible. He was a great guest, and like taking the time and like listening to a lot of stuff that has been in my periphery for a while. We talk about it briefly, but I have friends that have both played with and are friendly with Theo, uh, travel in the same circles and stuff. I I didn't want to. I didn't want the episode to become the uh, SNL sketch with Chris Farley and Paul McCartney. Oh, that was my biggest concern the whole time. (laughs) Like, I mean, we we sort of get to it at the end where I'm doing my best to not make him talk about himself. Yeah. (laughs) But like, it it took everything to be like, you remember that time you wrote Cynicism? Like, what what was that like? Um, (laughs) That was cool, right? (laughs) That was was cool. (laughs) Oh, it's my favorite sketch. He did that a couple times, right? Like, there's a couple different versions of that Farley sketch. The the, McCartney one's the the biggest The McCartney one's, yeah, where he's just like, can I play a song now? And then the stage separates. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, so good. But no, he was, like, really fun to talk to. You could tell that um, uh, after a while, he was kind of just, like, riding the, the comedy podcast wave. Like, we got into, like, a really deep discussion, which I guess the aim of this podcast is to talk candidly about emotions and feelings and stuff. And it's really good to get a mix of both of them. And I feel like we got that, this one. I I was kind of surprised by how, like, grateful as a prompt led to such, like, three different areas of, Mm. like, serious discussion. Like, each of our examples had very, like, solemn feeling to it. But we're Are also, you saying that uh, we're figuring this podcast thing out, Dan? We we might be. <laughs> I mean, I, I think we finally know what the show is, which is perfect that we got a guest I'm excited about just in time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we're doing great. Yeah, no By offense the 20th to the episode, we can quit because we'll nail it. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> sorry to all the other guests, but... Uh, hmm. You were yeah. practice. Yeah, maybe maybe um, come back. We'll redo it. <laughs> we'll nah, we'll do on. happy and sad part two. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope once a year we do happy and sad part two, and we don't change the night name of it. We just yeah. we had part yeah. one, and then it's yearly part two. Every every part is part two. <laughs> every part is part two. That's a shirt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I think we had a really great chat with Theo. Really down to earth guy. Really fun to talk to. Um, trying to get him to shit on REM did not work, which Didn't was a work bummer. Out. <laughs> oh, if he wasn't so damn positive. Uh, so Dan, roll us into the episode because uh, you deserve it. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we can't we can't go a full intro without mentioning that Theo and Anna Grizzle, their new album is out now. Right now. 
if you're listening to this when it comes out, that's also the day that that album is out. So you can go listen to it. It's called South Somewhere Else. It's on Don Giovanni Records. Don Giovanni Records, very good record company. For you know, they've done uh, my my friend Teenage Halloween's release is coming out through them soon. They've done all the early Front Bottoms records. Uh, oh, there's a ton of bands. That. Yeah, ton of bands on Don Giovanni. They're a great record label, and stoked to see them pick up this record. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited. There's, I mean, while we're recording, there's only four songs out to listen to, and. I'm all in. I can't wait to hear the rest of it. <laughs> but you guys don't have to wait because it's out now. You can listen to it as I'm talking to you. But do it later. Do it after after the interview. Go listen to the album. That's and fair. Stick, yeah. yeah, stick around listen to the to end. Listen to this episode. Yeah, stick <laughs> around to the end. We're going to preview a song because Theo was nice enough to let us do that. So we're going to play a song at the end. And uh, here it is, uh, the episode about Grateful with Theo Hilton. Roll the twinkly music. Theo, how are you? Uh, I'm I'm doing well. I'm uh, I'm in Athens, Georgia, my hometown, which is not where I live, but where I'm spending about a week right now. And uh, and uh, I'm it's really nice to distance, see from a distance, a lot of old friends and my bandmates and some family. Folks. Mm. Oh, nice. How are y'all doing? Yeah, I finally did the because uh, I've been quarantined basically in my apartment in South Philly this entire time. And then this weekend, my girlfriend and I were able to actually like go quarantine in someone else's empty house. So like, it was really nice to be somewhere else. Uh, that's <laughs> wonderful. Like, they had outside and a backyard and a pool and all this stuff. And it was like, we, we, it was a beach house and we didn't even go to the beach once. So it's just like, I just love having a backyard and fresh air. <laughs> this, is, this is so good. <laughs> Yeah. There's no yeah. sirens or people lighting off fireworks. Yeah, it it's cool. great. I'm sure it was great, Dan. <laughs> there was one gigantic yeah. firework that startled us. It shook the whole house. Like singular yeah, firework. One firework. That's all. <laughs> like we we were sitting out back. We heard this gigantic firework from like the other side of the street, and then we like rushed in to see if we could go see it, and they were done. <laughs> they were just all over it. There was not another firework for the rest of the trip. Uh, Theo, I, you said you're in Athens, right? Are you from Athens? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I spent a little time down there. I mean, adjacent to Athens. My mom lives in a small town in North Carolina on like the Georgia border. Oh, nice. Um, and every once in a while, we'll take a little day trip down to Athens. It's a great town. Yeah. That's a beautiful zone up there. I've been, I spent some time near Highlands, like kind of that area. But um, my mom lives just down from Highlands. Nice. Yeah. 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 Super yeah. cool. Yeah. I love it here. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine that we actually have a mutual friend. Um, that I was like, hey, we're having Theo on the show. Do you uh, like, what's he like to talk about? What are his interests? Like doing background research, stalking you. Oh, um, and, but uh, no, I, I've played a bunch of shows with Luke from Teenage Halloween. Oh, nice. And yeah, and they were like, he loves talking about how Southern he is. Like he loves where he comes from. He loves like Athens and town he's from. <laughs> I'm kind of obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny too, because I have some, I have friends actually who like, I didn't know when I lived here. I mean, cause I've, I moved away from Athens, like, like, uh, almost 10 years ago now. And, um, so I've been mm-hmm. to like moved here since there that I've met since I left. And I always like my favorite topic of conversation is like, what's different, you know? Um, mm. yeah, which is, I think is not as interesting for pretty much anybody besides me, but I love being very particularly attentive to what has changed and in what ways it's, um, less good than it was before. But in a lot of ways, it's, it's more <laughs> important that I'll talk about later. It's a lot more good than it was before. So it's cool. Yeah. I, I used to be that way with my hometown, which is just a Philadelphia suburb, but more and yeah. more, every time I went home, there was just like new stretches of McMansions filled with like rich Republican people. So yeah. I stopped paying attention to that part anymore. I was done with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you gotta find that one crusty VFW hall and you're like, this is it. It's the last best. <laughs> I'm from a hometown. I'm from a hometown in Connecticut. So it's all terrible. Yeah. Uh, but it's so nice that you're very proud of like the town you came from and everything. Cause I, you find that a lot where it's, you know, like, oh, I got to get out of this town. I got to escape from it. But it's so nice to see someone who's like, no, like I really like where I come from. Where, like, what I've done because I'm from there, you know? Well, I think that like something that I didn't really recognize for a long time is like how shaped I am by, by this place. 
you know, and, and I think that like, you know, and, and, and our band Anagula has a new album that's coming out this Friday. That is pretty much like excited for that. about this theme of like, you know, I think, you know, for me, I think that I, in a lot of ways, I feel like growing up, I was conditioned to think that like the place where I was from wasn't very um, important or like relevant to who I was. And, um, and, and also that like, I wasn't like accountable to the, to the myriad sort of complex histories of that place. And I think for me, moving away from Athens helped me to really see how untrue that was. Um, Mm. but like, yeah, I, but I think where I'm really trying to go with that, it, it, yeah, I think that I feel really grateful now to have more of a, an understanding of like what place means and how important it is, but also like how that sort of abstraction from place is such a tool of power, you know, and I, you know, not to like, oh, sure. like yeah. structural mm-hmm. level, like, you know, from A to Z in one place. But like, I think so many people's lives, you know, today and very much in the United States are, are defined by this need to be uprooted from where you're from disidentify. Mm-hmm. And I think that like, we lose a lot of um, collective power and staying of collectivities to that. There. Yeah. But do you hate REM though? Yeah. I love REM. <laughs> I, do. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I guess actually I was visiting town, but right before the coronavirus stuff started and um, they, uh, I, we, I got to sing on this show and we practiced in REM's rehearsal space, which was like, Oh really? Oh, that feels so cool. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like that is a lot cooler. Like I had a buddy that was living out in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. Like it's a more populous city. It's next to Boston and stuff. Mm-hmm. So like he was like, yeah, I share the. Uh, I do. I'm, I work in a, a screen printing shop that's next to where like the Dropkick Murphys rehearse. Mm-hmm. And it's like that's almost like it's a bigger city. So like obviously you're gonna run into them. Mm-hmm. But with Athens, where it's just small and there's like this history behind it, mm-hmm. I imagine that's got to be like so much fun just be like we're here like this is happening and it was in our little microcosm you know there is such a musical history to athens like i feel like every band that i've like loved started in athens <laughs> like there, there's just stretches of like neutral milk hotel and like that type of band and then like rem b52s like all of this like that's right like going just a little further time- back from that era too and just like you just keep going back and it's like athens just has a rich like long history of good music yeah and you know and you know and i was just talking to some friends about this last night but you know georgia also you know, talk about like a on a larger scale a place where so much music and so you know and like musical trajectories really emerge from the state of georgia proud to call it hmm. where i'm from in that regard <laughs> in that regard for sure yeah. yeah, I just remembered that the B-52s are from Athens, mm-hmm. which is funny because I guess my like, like because of the bright and colorful and like the big popness of them, you always think they're from like, oh, they're like L.A., like somewhere like sunny, shiny, bright, happy mm-hmm. people. Uh, yeah. pun, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> um but then also, like, there's my kid brain where I was like, no, they're just from Bedrock from right. the Flintstones movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, they're a fictional place. Yeah, yeah totally. Totally. Mm. So you, you do have an album coming out. Is that exciting? I've never really had that. I mean, I have a record label and I put out albums for other people, but I've never had that actually, like, putting out something for myself. Like, what is that feeling? Yeah, you know, I'm stoked. I think, like... This will be um, Nana Grizzle's fourth studio album, which is kind of crazy to me. I mean, we, we made a couple of records before 2010 and then um, the last couple, like the last one came out in 2017. And I think for us, like during the first couple of records, the band was like very much our life. And, you know, we were like touring all the time and really like, ah. and in that intervening time, you know, we all have a lot of different things going on. So the feeling is more like, it's really special to have a context for, you know, me and my bandmates to come together and work on something. And, you know, having an album come out is just this really nice way of marking time and, and, mm. and, you know, and, and yeah, moving forward and, and being able to stay together. I think with this album in particular, I, we started writing it um, about two years ago and we recorded it last August for the most part. So just a little less than a year ago. And I think, you know, kind of on the topic of what I was talking about earlier, like 
uh, really thematically, I think it, it, it ventures in a similar territory that our past records do, which are very much thinking about queerness and queer socialization. And, um, but, but this has spent like a lot more time thinking, particularly for me about my experience of like being socialized as like a white man, um, in the South and like what that means and what that doesn't mean. And, and, and starting to think about how to be accountable in new ways to really deconstruct that and, and unlearn some of that conditioning and think about how to be like an ally to multiracial movements, the multiracial queer movement, then like, um, there's a lot there. And I just said a whole bunch of things. Um, but I think that like, for me, like the process of writing the album was very much about being like, what are my preconceptions about myself and where I'm from and who I am and what I deserve? And how are those structured by my upbringing um, in an upper middle class white academic family in a Southern college town? Um, being yeah, told yeah. that I live in the South, you know, you know, there's like a, so many layers there. Um, and, and so I'm excited to put that out in the world. And I think it's like timely. And I think that like, you know, especially for us, you know, people who were socialized as white men, like is really a big part of what we need to be doing right now is thinking through those questions in accountable ways. But I mean, it's also like, you know, I, for me is I'm, it's kind of scary, you know, cause uh, you know, we made this record and, we're really bearing our souls in that regard. And I think that there's like a lot to be critiqued there and should be, and I hope will be. Um, but, but, you know, it's curious to be like, in what ways will that happen? And in what ways will Yeah. Yeah. Like I remember I, I saw you last time you came through and you were talking about like seeing like plantations and like seeing that plantations are just like tourist traps now. And they're, they're just presented as like, look at this beautiful home, but not actually giving the history behind them. And like, I've done those tours. I've been on those tours and never once thought about that, even though I'm aware of it. I know all of it. I do like tons of like history research, but like in that moment when you're being presented, it's just like, look at this beautiful home. They do such a job of like separating those two ideas when you're in that moment. That like I hadn't even thought about like what I was actually walking around on those tours until you were saying that. And I was like, these are the things that like I should have thought about. Like I had all the time and the energy and the knowledge to combine those thoughts and just never did. Right. And I, and I think that that's a really I mean, for me, there is effect of like having tour. Like I think in a lot of ways, the whole idea of tourism is about glorifying um, kind of oppressive ways of of being, you know, whether it's like mm. the ideal of going to a resort or whatever, but like, you know, particularly in terms of like plantation tourism or like even going to see the Empire State Building or something is like this like symbolism of that violence and of the production of race and racialized violence. But I think that there's so much power that goes, you know, like in Louisiana, which is where I'm thinking about that the most and driving back to Athens, where I mean, you just, I, I see it. I drive back and forth between these places a lot less right now, but you know, you see it so much and the erasure of that violence from the way it's projected to be like, oh, look, this is like pretty or like, look at this nostalgic thing. Mm -hmm. And to think in Louisiana that the, the state of Louisiana invests a considerable amount of money into that erasure, as do petrochemical companies that run, you know, I could tell you about a million places that are really invested in exactly what you just said and are very effective at it. Yeah, I mean think about like how many national monuments were built by like underpaid or not paid at all workers and are just presented as like look at this it's a homage to the hard work of americans yeah. and the people who actually made it aren't acknowledged in that sentence even once yeah 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 you can see that where we were talking a little bit about where my mom is in north carolina where like you see that a lot with um like the indigenous nations in that area where you know it's become a like a roadside attraction to drive through Cherokee and see like this neon tomahawk coming down. And you're like, that's like for someone coming in, like that's their vacation. They're going there to be around nature and experiences. I guess. Yeah. But understand like where that's coming from is not the, is not the intention. It's almost like the survival in that way. And, yeah. And I, and I think another just element of that, that I would really want to lift up is that, so much, you know, in both, in all of the cases that we're talking about is this projection of like, of like there being pa like pasts that are distinct from the present. 
you know? And I think, you know, certainly when you think about like um, representation around like, how do we talk about indigenous people and indigenous culture, like as a relic of the past, which it often is presented people's experiences of, of you know, of communities that are very much alive today. And also talking about plantations as being in the past. And it's like, well, no, like these are all things that are in the present and, and have, yeah, continue to exist in multiple, many different ways. And that's like a whole nother conversation. But something that makes me think about is in Athens before I was here, um, you know, right. Uh, maybe this was three weeks ago. Um, it was pretty soon after George Floyd was murdered and, um, there was a big um, rally to uh, defund the police in Athens. And it was really cool. And I saw it from afar and, you know, just uh, so many people came out and so many people were like making these demands that were really on point. And it was like really super cool. And then that night, the national guard came in tear gas, peaceful protesters, like very few of them who were um, like blockading the street um, for peacefully for the amount of time that, George Floyd had a police officer's knee on his neck and, um, and they tear gassed them and, and nobody ever apologized for it. But the um, mayor and commission said that they were going to take away this Confederate monument that the protesters were next to. And it, to me, I think that's really powerful. It's really powerful to be like, on the one hand, be like, well, yeah, we're really committed to this and we're getting rid of this symbol, but we're not going to acknowledge the violence that's happening today in the name of that system of oppression. And I think that we're seeing that a lot. And I think that we're seeing like really great critiques of that happening, but I think like, yeah, I'm really excited about, and I, I know I'm just going off on a tear and just like talking, 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 but I'm excited about this, this is the podcast. <laughs> <you're fine. laughs> I'm excited about this like political moment um, where, you know, a lot of like really great, movement organizing is happening to like frame those conversations and like a lot of great research is supporting it and there's like all these talking points to be like look like when we talk about oppressive histories we're talking about how they exist in the present when we talk about like you know defunding the police we're talking about building systems that like don't inherently uphold white supremacy um and i think for anybody since you're listening to a podcast if you haven't listened to npr's through line podcast about the american police and you're new at thinking about this stuff i really just couldn't recommend it any more than I am right now. Um, I saw a bunch of, you know, the, the tweetable memes I've kind of been calling them now where it's like these things that people are just continually posting. And one always struck out to me where it's similar to what you're saying, where it's like, listen, we're going to remove this statue. We're not going to say any of this stuff. Like we're not going to like question the actual problem, but we are going to do something physical to kind of appease those who are in the streets yeah. we're acknowledging and, the moment without really acknowledging why yeah. the moment's happening and there was one where it was just like we didn't ask for you know people painting the streets we didn't ask for mm -hmm. uh you know to get rid of Dan Jemima as a symbol of syrup like yeah. it's just this laundry list of things where it's like it's seems very performative and then like, well, look, look, all this stuff we got done. And it's like, well, none of it yeah. was what we asked for. We, we got Paw Patrol canceled. Yay. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. We did it. Like, yeah, it's it seems very odd that, well, not odd, to be expected, uh, that that's the thing that they're going to go for instead of actually, like, questioning what they're doing to make a move to just sort of appease. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's exciting to see the sort of, pressure be maintained and the like amount of mm -hmm. energy right now that's going into exactly that calling that out and that that's like memorable means i think it's like really true that's the tip of the iceberg yeah. and often power wants to change what the tip of the iceberg looks like to be like look the iceberg's gone yeah, yeah. <laughs> look at that but that's just global warming um yeah. <laughs> But let's shoot. Like, what, what would you say you're grateful for? See, it wasn't no, smooth. It wasn't smooth. Not a great transition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I think it is though. I mean, and, and I think it's like I feel like a parody of myself given our conversation so far. But you know, I'm I'm really grateful um, to like have. To, I'm really grateful for for Athens, Georgia. Um, <laughs> I hadn't really thought about this. The grateful prompt, and so we just started talking a minute ago. But um, I never do. I run this show and I never do. I never think of the topic until we're on screen. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I'm grateful. I, I'm grateful for, um, for, for, for 
the place that I come from. Um, and I'm grateful for like its capacity and it's, a, you know, the possibility of like learning new lessons about myself and, and about people here and about, you know, um, the possibility for change and, and new kinds of, 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 um, community in place. And, and, and I'm just really grateful to, to have this relationship to the place that I came from and, um, and to, and to recognize that, like, I can change in this place. And what I mean by that is I, I think that like, you know, when I, I left Athens when I was 28 years old, I moved to Seattle and I was like, you know, I want to go to community college. There's no way I'm going to go to community college in Athens. I'm too set in my ways, you know, I moved to Seattle and I was like, yeah, I'm in community college. And it was great. It changed my life. And, um, and I also was like found like queer community in a way that I just had never found it here, you know, and, and in my like path, like I'm really grateful that that gave me this like boost, you know? And at the time, the way that I understood that was like, I was like, Oh, I had to get away in order to change, you know? And, and I, and I really just want to underscore that I, that I think that that actually is, is a myth in a lot of ways. And I'm really trying to think about how to understand and, and come to a sense of like being able to feel like you can change or I can change. Many people know this and have experienced this in the place that I come from. And I think that like also my journey of like understanding how, you know, whiteness has shaped my experience, how, you know, being upper middle class has shaped my experience. Um, I, I really like, like I'm able to like learn about in new ways in relation to where I come from and with people of lots of different kinds of experiences in that place. And I think that it's just like, I cherish being able to grow in that way. Mm. Um, There's definitely something very valuable to being surrounded by people who are also focused on growing and changing. And like, you, you get to see what other people are doing be like, Oh, I could be doing that. Like that's, that's absolutely something I'm capable of. That's within my capacity to change in that positive way. Like these people around me are. And like that, in that way, like the area you are can really build you up. I, I see that value in, in Philly. And like, I basically had the same experience of, I left Philly, I moved to Boston and it wasn't until I came back to Philly where I was like, I love this place. Like, I had no real emotional tie to it until I left. And then I came back and I was like, this is the place. This is it. Yeah. Mm. I have a little bit of the opposite, I think, where yeah. I've moved around quite a bit, but I grew up like Maine, like grew up most of my time in this small town in Connecticut mm -hmm. and not a lot going on. Like the running gag is that if you like if you don't want to run into anyone anyone at high, from high school don't go to the Walmart between these hours and these hours because just no one left the town and if you're trying to like not bring up any of those uh, emotions or anything just like avoid the one town center where everyone goes uh -huh. um but moving from place to place, I do find that I really love Philly. I really love where I was born on Long Island for a lot of different reasons. Um, mostly because like history, the music that comes out of these places, the most we ever got out of Connecticut was like hate breed. And I don't, I don't need that. <laughs> um, but it's, it's so refreshing to see, like maybe if I went back with that kind of fresh set of eyes to maybe find appreciate, there are things that I enjoy about growing up in Connecticut you know, starting my first couple bands, you know, your crappy high school bands and stuff. And, you know, kind of, there's like some real beauty in the place where I'm from. Uh, so I'd really interested to kind of head back there at some point when it's safe to travel again, uh, to see it through that eyes. Cause I'd like to see that for the place that I've spent so much time and so much growing up in yeah. instead of it only <laughs> being linked to, uh, you know, just the stress of adolescence. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like I've actually found that and we were talking a little earlier about how my town seems to be getting worse and worse, but that also shows at the same time, like much brighter, the places that aren't getting worse that are getting better because the town seems to be actively trying to go in the opposite direction. So when you see the people who aren't like, it's a lot easier to latch on to like the good of the town when you see like how hard they're trying to be good. 
Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good, that, I think something that that makes me think about is like, and maybe this is also another way of differentiating, like a way that my perspective has shifted is that I think that like, maybe at some point I thought that like, bad, like, bad, like, like, like badness was inevitable or something or like all of the like structural shit that's fucked up is just like inevitable. Right. Or like these condos are coming inevitable, like this, you know, and I think that like, you know, that, that forces like that are very strong and are a challenge, but also to be reminded that nothing is inevitable. And like, it's up to, you know, us as people to like forge accountability, then work for the world that we want. And that that's not hopeless. And that like, that's going to look different um, as we go. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a lot of that mentality when I was living in Asheville, North Carolina, and it was a lot of people like you saw uh, condos going up and neighborhoods being changed drastically. But the people that lived there were actively fighting to change that. They were like, Mm. you know, like there's no way for all of us to live here with the certain rent we have and like going out and trying to change that. Uh, where they saw that it wasn't inevitable. They saw that like, no, you can initiate change on on a, at least a, a small scale, as small as Asheville, North Carolina can be, you know? Like it's still a city, but it's still something that can be done. Yeah. Skylines can be changed, you know, if you want to try hard enough. Yeah, yeah I think the, the thing that also helps with like Athens and with Asheville is they are big college towns so you're seeing people come in from everywhere and then they also are leaving and going back to where they're from and bringing those ideas with them. True. And learning from the place that, and the things that are happening. Yeah. I think that that's something that like, you know, uh, even for me growing up in a college town like Athens, like I think I was led to believe that like, but this is full circle to what we were saying before. Like I I didn't used to recognize how much the like people who were here for a long time, like made Athens what it is, you know, and like shaped my experience, you know, and many people who I knew who came through for college. But I think so often we were like, Oh yeah. Like the, you know, university ideas are changing the world. And it's like, (laughs) yeah, it would be like, well, it is interesting interactions for sure. Yeah, I remember seeing that I was up at Ithaca for a show once and it was like all of these young people, but then you realize that like all of the shops were owned and run by people who had been there for decades. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of them were like college kids who never left, but you're seeing that the, the ideas are being presented to these college kids who are like ready to learn stuff by people who are living it and have been living it for a really long time. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, I do my, um, I'm, I'm finishing my PhD in cultural anthropology. Um, oh, nice. At Tulane University, um, which we could do a podcast about also, but, um, <laughs> I, but, um, but I study uh, environmental justice activism. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I work with folks who live in communities where they maybe the community has been there for a century and a half. And um, in the last 40 years, there's like a landfill and, uh, you know, you see this around Philly for sure. Like, and then like a refinery and toxic industry that's built up, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of different ways that people like strategize and do political work to just to slow that down and to resist it. And again, it's a uphill fight. Uh, and those, those toxic industries are not inevitable, but are very hard to fight. But I mean, I feel like I learned so much from obviously the political organizing. And then I teach it to students and package it as like anthropology to be like, oh, structures of power, like, oh, this and this. But it's like, it's something that I try to think about a lot is how to like really attend to the fact that it's like, well, I didn't make any of this up. And actually nobody at a university made any of it up, but you can learn about it right now and hopefully want to get involved. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Are you finding... um, that the things that you're looking into within the last 40 years, is it kind of sped up because of uh, the aftermath of Katrina in that area at all? Or, cause I was just, uh, it's just me just watching something that was on yeah. TV a couple weeks ago, where it was just like things that like people are trying to make good things out of there, but a lot, they're getting thrown out a lot to build condos, to build, you know, stuff that's putting a damage on the area. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I think there's like, um, Hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, on a couple of different scales, like at, like regionally. You know, so, so folks that I work with um, live along the Mississippi River, um, sort of downriver from Baton Rouge, which is kind of a long swath, and so that goes, you know, like probably two hundred miles down to the Gulf of Mexico, and yeah. um, and in that regard, you know, downriver from New Orleans is where there was a lot of damage from Katrina and mm-hmm. from many storms, you know, because it's very low lying wetlands area. But after Katrina. All the, there was so much, I'm sure you saw these like pictures of like piles of trash, like really gross trash yeah. in New Orleans. And a lot of that just like went to landfills down the river with like, you know, weird sketchy contracts and stuff. And a lot of those are like, right, you know, somebody's house is here. And then there's like maybe a 50 foot buffer. In New Orleans, wow. like, yeah, I think that there is a big, you know, spate of like um, condo development. And it's this interesting setup because, um, because a lot of the money that comes into New Orleans for that kind of stuff, like in other cities, you see this like rapid, not even like, like gentrification would be a term for like, you know, taking the existing structures, putting in some new ones and making them really fancy and prohibitively expensive, which is definitely happening. There's also this like speculative real estate investment, which is odd because like since about Katrina, we've known that New Orleans has very precarious, uh, infrastructure and and sea level related future you know um yeah. which is another conversation about disinvestment but like yeah. people are building these like giant condos but they don't live they're not in companies that are based in new orleans and it's not people who live there and they're not selling it to people who live there and so then mm-hmm. on top of that and and a lot of people will say that this is like overblown but i think this is really true is you have all these short-term rental places again i, I imagine philly has a similar problem where um where like people just buy up houses and turn them into Airbnbs. So oh, yeah. they're yeah. decimated by like some company in Idaho that has like 50 or some company, you know, and like, um, yeah. So, so to your question, I think that like, yeah, I think there's been a lot of attention that go, you know, and I, I've only lived in New Orleans for five years and um, I, I do intend to stay. Um, but mm. there's a lot of like kind of opportunistic development attention that goes to that city. Um, that's really alarming because there's not a lot of regulations yeah. to stop it. Cause there was, uh, I was looking, I was seeing very uh, similar stuff to what you're talking about with that. And then you'd see like these large areas that are just sort of being left like jazz land, yeah. like the six flags there. That's just, it's a theme park that is a swamp again, <laughs> which I guess takes to like the power of nature where it's just sort of taking it back. But I don't know what the environmental effects of that would be. Like, just is it going to be that forever or is it just going to be like taken back? Or are they going to try to remove some of the things that might be hazardous to the environment there? Yeah. Uh, but it's interesting. Interesting to see, especially from someone that's there learning about it in person. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there was just something. I forget what it was. Some A group of people just went to go make some demands about doing something with that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what who it was or what they were doing. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think just similarly, and I think it, it might not be even be this more way more in Louisiana than other states, especially in that region. But it's very well documented in Louisiana by, you know, activists is that like, there's all these like, there's so much infrastructure like that, that just gets made and then left behind, like all these you know, oil pipelines, tar sand pipelines, like oil delivery canals, like oil wells, like there's just all like thousands and thousands of uncapped oil wells, you know, that are just like, yeah, there's there's a long history of like, oh, this company went under, but like no cleanup happened after. Yeah, right. And so and right now, that's the other, you know, COVID moment, which is that, you know, the price of oil went to like, negative $32 a barrel. And then all these companies tanked and just left all their crap, you know, everywhere. Yeah, they just they just leave. They're just gone. Yeah. Yeah. There's something really beautiful about the term this COVID moment. Yeah. Like it's it's poetic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, we could we could do a parody of like this magic moment, yeah. but uh, this COVID yeah. moment. Yeah. Why, why don't we why don't we go to break and we'll write a parody? Sure. <laughs> all right, let's do that. Let me ask you guys something. Whatever happened to predictability? There must be some magic clues inside these gentle walls. Sometimes you get a feeling like you need some kind of change. I don't get any of those references. But each week on Talking Sit, Silas P. and a guest do a deep dive and raise up 
the sitcoms that raised us. Did Mr. Belvedere really sit on his balls? Why do people call him Uncle Joey when he wasn't related to the Tanners? And does anyone else remember Head of the Class? Find out each week on Talking Sit with Silas P. This COVID moment. I sang and Dan didn't want to put it in. I mean, it'll be there. You can you can call me out, but it'll be there. <laughs> That's right. You do edit this. That's right. You can't <laughs> stop me. You're beautiful singing. Be yeah. front and center out of this break. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we are back from break. George, why don't you talk about something that you're grateful or makes you feel grateful? Sure. I mean, so it was funny when we got the suggestion when I got the suggestion, because again, Dan does everything. Um, and I thought grateful. And then my mind, as most people do, if they grew up with hippie dippy parents, went to Grateful Dead. Uh, and then Father's Day just passed. And I realized that, uh, like, I'm kind of grateful for my dad, which is weird to say. Well, that goes uh, my answer. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a dad's day special. That's all right. Uh, but no, it was, uh, yeah, it's me and my dad um, did not talk for about a decade. And only fairly recently did we start like trying to rekindle a relationship a little bit. And I guess with like the the season of Father's Day and with the grateful, it's, it's grateful that I, that, that we both kind of left that door open and have both kind of found a, a shaky foundation, but it's still moving forward. Yeah, uh, I think it's very hard in those situations. Like I'm obviously not like on a parental front for me, but like friends across the board of just like when something happens and it doesn't look like there's anything there anymore, just like keeping open to it. They're mm -hmm. just like they might come back. Like Yeah. Like just because it's not great right now, it like doesn't mean that like you have to shut it down forever. Yeah. And there's people in my family currently that like they've shut it down forever. And that is their decision. And that's, you know, cool. I, I you know, they, they got to do their own thing. They got to heal a certain way. Um, but yeah, that, that whole door open thing that I, I was the one that kind of creaked the door open. Like I was the one that came back. I was like, Hey, can I come to Christmas kind of thing? Um, that I'm, I'm grateful for. I'm grateful that as of right now, nothing's happened where that's changed my mind. <laughs> so you know, when, when you started down that path, was it like openly received or did you have to like do some convincing? No, no. Openly received. Like, kind of just waiting. Like they were just waiting around for, for someone to make the first turn, but we're both too stubborn. Uh, and on a funnier note, rekindling stuff with my dad has been interesting to see just how much of my weirdness genetically came from him. <laughs> Like, it is always really strange because like there, there's not a lot of interaction you, mm -hmm. like there's not like immediate influence from this person but you still end up oh, there yeah. anyway apparently i would freak my mom out when i was a kid because i would laugh like him all the time he's got like this wheezy sort of laugh <laughs> and like i guess i picked it up in the in the first couple years of my life that uh, he was you know kicking around and stuff uh but also like you know you make the phone call of like hey how's it going you're trying to like you know, just stay, uh, stay present with them. And then he'll just break into how there are biblical giants in Afghanistan that are killing us soldiers and that you need to research this George. And it's just, Oh, that's just strange. I understand. I get it. I'm going to look into it, but I'm not going to take it as seriously as you. <laughs> he's, he's the he same guy that to be, be a dad all this time later of like, yeah, yeah. whatever kid i guess that's a kid you got it whatever yeah yeah no like we we had a full-blown conversation at my stepbrother's uh like going away party i think we may have talked about it on the show before but he just wanted to show me this audio clip that his friend found bigfoot my dad lives on long island there's no bigfoot in long island <laughs> <laughs> But he's like, no, 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 I swear it's true. And he played it. And it's just very clearly his friend yelling and then some guy in the woods somewhere yelling back. Like it's in no way Bigfoot, <laughs> but he was so proud of it. <laughs> That's awesome. I, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a very weird thing to be, uh, you know, to have that break and then come back and stuff and then having a, uh, you know, bank holiday. I guess it's not even a bank holiday. It's just an observed holiday. To kind of yeah. revisit those it's thoughts just and emotions. A Sunday. <laughs> yeah, it's a Sunday. 
uh yeah theo I, I mean if you don't mind me it's like do you have a good relationship with your parents and stuff yeah sorry um i do which is interesting for like a punk adjacent musician because it's supposed to, you're supposed to hate your dad if you're into punk i know this <laughs> Yeah. That's how you got there. So yeah. bingo. <laughs> we had some time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, um, uh, my, yeah, I have a pretty good relationship with my folks. Um, my folks split when I was like three, but mm. both very much in my life. I'm, um, very similar where they both split like really young. And that's one of the things where like other people in my family was like, well, you were so young. You don't remember what was happening or going on and stuff. Mm. But you know, I, because I wasn't there, maybe I'm a little easier to forgive. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird to have it. Like I have friends. We, uh, I had a friend that like his parents divorced when they were, when he was in middle school. So it's a lot different to take in rather than when, you know, the young yeah, that's and a lot sort of, hitting all at the same time. Yeah. yeah. And then it's like, Oh no, like I was raised by two separate factions and understanding that separation is just kind of normal for your life. I guess in those developmental years, it's sort of a little stranger. It's sort of a little, like, oh, what do you mean you don't have two Christmases and, you know, one's weirder than the other and the other one has to, like, drop you off at a certain spot and then pick up at another spot. Like, right. like that kind of uh, thing. But then as you get older, I feel like you are grateful to have those both. You have both family dynamics. Like, my mom, I, I used to make this joke on stage uh, where it was... Uh, my mom is like a businesswoman and she pulled herself up from her bootstraps and she got to retire early because she worked so hard. And I think that's great. She's my hero. And then the punchline was, and then my dad hunts for Bigfoot on Long Island. And I get both of those experiences where yeah. it's, and I don't want to say like, you know, responsible parent and cool parent, but there, that, you know, there's something like weird hearing you say that. Cause I never really thought about it, but like, seeing my parents as individual people probably didn't happen until like 10 years ago, like yeah. until I hit my twenties, like until then they were like a unit. Right. So like, I, I appreciate the more seeing them as like separate individual people who are like doing a thing together. Yeah. Having that when you're young and being able to like grow up in a world where like you're basically raised to look at people as like individual people. And there's probably value to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's something I think about a lot, you know, again, you know, one is this sort of like particular unique situation to even like live in the construct of like a nuclear family and to have like having divorced parents as being like an aberration from that is like not really an experience that most people are subject to, you know, in a, in a, in a certain way. And I think, you know, as I, you know, my, my partner, Kevin and I are, you know, in the, early phases of it like like starting to foster and potentially adopt a kid someday and like awesome we live you know we have a we live with like we own our house with two of our friends who have a kid and then two of our other friends and uh are really excited about like the kids in our house like growing up with a bunch of adults and like exactly that (laughs) like being able to have like different relationships with like you know, people in your family who are very present, like as individuals, like, I think it's really a special thing. And I, and I think that like, you know, from my experience, it's like a way that I understand queerness and, and like the, the possibilities for living in queer community and queer family is to be like, you can cultivate like close relationships with people who you look up to. And like, it can look like a lot of different things. And like, if somebody yeah. leaves, that's okay. And if somebody else comes, that's fine. And it's like, yeah, I'm excited about it. And I've been excited to have like a prompt to think through that stuff, you know, living with actual children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it's interesting to see uh, that mindset because I don't, uh, I would figure, I would assume that's sort of like a newer idea that I agree should come to like the forefront of, you know, be like having a, a, a child kind of get exposed to all these different viewpoints by a bunch of different role models where, you know, a kid that comes from divorce or like has these two separate factions, it's, you're almost looking for more figures because you're only spending a certain amount of time with some one person, certain amount of time with another person. Um, but, but I think to your point though, I mean, like that was definitely my experience and I really, I it just similarly to you really valued that, you know, and but yeah. like in a similar way that somebody else might really, you know, value being raised with their like aunt and grandmother at some time. Yeah. Like, 
you know, like, you have that little like difference of a uh, difference of scene. But that, that ability to like not be stuck in one dynamic and be like the kid is like kind of yeah. cool. Yeah, absolutely. Although it didn't work for me. I still want Brendan Fraser to be my real dad, yeah. but still. <laughs> yeah. Gets brought up every year. Like every, my, both my stepdad and dad know that I will not post a picture of them. I will post a picture of Brendan Fraser and John Ritter and say, happy Father's Day. Oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, Dan, did I steal your thing or would you like no, to go? Um, <laughs> I, had, I had a couple ready to go here. Cause See, that's why uh, you're the producer. You, you yeah, know I, how to plan ahead. I, I, had, I had thought about it and we, we touched on basically two of the three that I was going to bring up. So I'm on to my third choice. <laughs> like, grateful for the place I am. Grateful for my family. Um, this ain't I, even Thanksgiving. I, uh, let's see. At the, the risk of making Theo talk about his own music, I'm going to talk about something else and then we'll tangent into it <laughs> if we <laughs> get there. Great. Yeah. This is so, this this doesn't seem smooth at all, Tam. <laughs> oh, you want to talk about my music? <laughs> I could be open. <laughs> so I'm I'm very grateful. The the choice I'm gonna make instead of saying cynicism, your song, is uh Conan O'Brien's like tonight's show farewell speech. Mm-hmm. He has this whole thing about like don't be cynical. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't, I don't know which came first. So it was both basically around the same time in 2010. It was either your song or that speech or the combination of both. But like I had never thought about like that's how I was thinking about the world. Mm-hmm. And like since then, I don't look at it that way anymore. Mm. That like every time I feel myself having a cynical thought, it's like. No, like that's not what the world needs. Like no one's asking for that. Hmm. That's ex- that's very beautiful. I like that yeah. too. I subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there. I was like at a weird, dark place, and you're watching like Conan go through an absolutely like devastating moment, and like that's what he chose to say. Mm. Yeah, that like you you could absolutely see him being justified in that moment, being like cynical and angry. And he was just like, no, don't do that. Yeah. At the same time, and not to uh, pull from the seriousness of what you say, that speech came right before he covered a Da Vinci painting with caviar next oh, to yes. a giant sloth skeleton. <laughs> yeah, and then played so there Freebird, is absurdist, which is, and then you can find the serious in it. Yeah, and then he went out on Freebird with Will Farrell playing drums. That yes. is not a cheap song to play on TV. So <laughs> I, I do appreciate the throwing the network's money away because they screwed you over. There's a little cynicism in that, but <laughs> it was well done. It was well crafted. Very, very fair. But yeah, that, uh, that that moment of like hearing your song and hearing that speech, like mm. in that moment in my life was like, nah, do better. Like, <laughs> I, I was very down on myself and the world and everything. And then I just wasn't anymore. It's amazing that it just that quick. I don't. I don't do anything slowly. <laughs> yeah, that's also good. Yeah, like we we talked about it on an episode we already recorded that'll be coming out in a couple of weeks. Where like when I would have like panic attacks, I would like catch myself and just make fun of myself, and then they would be over and it would just be done. Like it wouldn't be like like they would phase into panic attacks, but then I would just like catch myself and they would just stop. Like that's uh-huh. that's how I handle emotions. Is just like oh, I hit the end of it. And we're done with it. On to the mm-hmm. next one. And like, if it comes back, it comes back, whatever. I'll handle it again. But like, just keep going. Yeah. It's interesting as a comedian uh, that, and I, I imagine a lot of comedians or a lot of people, you know, not, we don't have to put it in just one realm, uh, will use that tactic to get out of that mental state. Like, I know I'm familiar. I used to have this reoccurring nightmare when I was going through uh, some stuff and it would be that I was just lost in the middle of the ocean. Like I would just wake up and be like open water. Oof. And that was where like, my all the time afraid of boats comes from. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, um, but being of that mindset of like, how do I get out of this? The, the flight or flight went into uh, humor and it was mm-hmm. like, like picturing just ridiculous stuff that you'd want to see in like a terrible, like B horror movie. 
Mm. Um, and just sort of laughing at that and sort of laughing. Like I remember thinking, well, I was like, all right, well, if I'm in the ocean, maybe I could be like gored by a Norwal. That might be fun. That might be a fun <laughs> way to go. That so, makes it like, news. <laughs> anything to not drown. You're just putting yeah. monsters in the situation. Yeah. So just see monsters first. and stuff. And like that would change the tone of it where it was like, it would go from very, very nervous and like, yeah, the cold sweat nightmare, tr- like thing trope, uh, to, it's kind of funny. Like it would, it would be able to switch a little bit. And I think there's something to that of like adding creativity to the moment too. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're challenging your brain to do something else while it's fucking with you basically. Yeah. But I mean, something that else that I think comes out in what both of you are saying that I, that I think it's really important is like developing this level of self-awareness about like, you know, things that are like when you're put in a state of like agitation or depression or unfeelingness or irritation, like to be able to look at that from another place inside of yourself and be like, what is this feeling doing? What is mm, it yeah. doing for me? Like why, or, or this thought, you know, also, and I think that that's really important. And I think it's a really big part of growth and self-awareness and becoming not cynical and becoming not afraid is to be like, when I feel this way, I can recognize that this is something that I do and I can try yeah. to understand it versus letting it take hold of me. And I think that that's like really a super cool thing that we can, a skill we can develop as humans, you know? Yeah. The, like the, the first time it clicks that you can like, think about your thoughts that you don't just have to have them. And that they don't like, have you. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like, just because you're thinking it doesn't mean that it's like an absolute reality that like, this is how, like, especially if you're thinking about like external forces of like, Oh, that person probably hates me. Cause this happened. Like you have no idea. Like you, you're putting your feelings into another person's head and then projecting it back onto yourself without talking to them, without experiencing anything else with them. So like once you realize that like you're just playing games with yourself, basically, yeah, like that you can like actually control what's happening. It's like earth shattering. Like, mm-hmm. and I think in, you know, and that, to draw that back again to thinking about like this particular moment and many to come, you know, I think that there's this way that often I have conversations with other people and with myself of being like, all of this stuff is happening. Like, what do I do? I don't want to do it wrong. I want to do it right. And I think that developing that awareness of being like, things are happening in the world. It's my job to plug in and I'm probably going to do it wrong and project all of these negative feelings, in my case, often about myself in that situation is really super, super useful skill set to be like, I can start to like work with people. And then when I fuck up, be accountable to it and like grow (laughs) because I'm not scared. (laughs) Which is easier said than done, a hundred percent. But it's cool sure. to be able to think and talk about that. I mean, you know? it's it's one of those things that I've I've had a conversation with like a lot of people about this. Like, whenever someone tells me that they're like afraid of change, that like you you don't realize how often your life has changed without you even registering it. Mm-hmm. That like these things are happening and you're fine with it. Mm -hmm. Like everything is totally okay. Mm -hmm. Like some changes because you're anticipating them feel bigger and have more weight. Yeah. But like, it's a good point. All all changes change. Like just because you're thinking about it doesn't make it more impactful. Mm They're like these moments will come and they'll pass like every other moment. They're just like, just live your life. You're going to fuck up. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Everybody makes mistakes. If it leads to something good, it leads to something good. If it leads to something bad, it leads to something bad. But like, you're still there. You get to try again. Dan, I have to say that because of the woman that I love, when you say everyone makes mistakes, I only think of Hannah Montana and I blame you for saying it. Uh, (laughs) I mean, also a gigantic Miley Cyrus fan. I don't know the reference you're making. There's a song where it's like, everyone makes mistakes. Everyone has those days. And I think it was a ringtone for a minute. And now, damn it, Dan, uh, I had a funny thing to say. And now all I can think about is uh, Hannah Montana, a subpar Disney Channel show. I'm more than happy to accept this ire that should be directed towards someone else's phone. But... (laughs) (laughs) So there's a lot of people's phone ringtones that have ruined bands for me.
Well, that was the episode, everybody. Uh, I had fun. I had a great time. It's always fun to have conversations with people that neither of us know personally. You know what I mean? Like there's an excitement in something that like we admire someone's work. But at the same time, there's also this like fun aspect of just like this can go anywhere. And the fact that it went well is oh, thrilling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sort of and like the the alternate ending of this is I met someone who I admire greatly and it was terrible. Like <laughs> We already had that moment, Tan. <laughs> it's always a great possibility for, I mean, talking to anybody you don't know, but yeah. Let alone if you, with this. If you want to hear how that turned out, listen to the Luke Rovers episode where we talk about a Reggie and the full effect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oof. The timing on that. <laughs> yeah. Not great. Uh, but what was great was Theo, Theo Hilton. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, Honestly, couldn't have done a better episode if we tried. And as a little treat, as a little 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 taste, so you can uh, listen to the album and then just or listen to a song and then go drive straight to the album on Spotify or iTunes or wherever. Or you know, buy the record. Y'all need to buy yeah. records again. The only reason I don't own it yet is because the record isn't showing up for a week. So, oh, <laughs> so you already pre-ordered it and everything? Yeah, I pre-ordered it a couple of weeks ago. Or maybe did you a week get the ago. groovy, cool-looking vinyl, or did you just get like the plain color vinyl? I got one. It said colored, but there wasn't a picture, so I don't Dan, know. Dan, you can't say that on the show. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Dan Jukets just got canceled. Welcome to the George Bruderman show. <laughs> uh, but no, it's not about me. It's about Theo. Here's the song. Uh, it's called Plantation Country. Roll the tape. So good. Thank you guys so much for listening. We love you all. We love Theo Hilton. Good night. An order that confirms a license. A beauty that disguises violence. And oh, we were complicit in our soft and sipid silence. The language that defines the landscape. The land is sending to the Try I might, I can't unwrap the world It's trapped in me You asked me, did I know what I thought to be mine? Said all I had bought and built and stumbled on in time And though I didn't believe the valence of my Home. The image 
Be sure to rate, subscribe, and tell a friend about Feel Feelings with Danny and George. You can follow us over at Feel Feelings Pod and even leave us an audio message at anchor.fm backslash feelfeelings. As always, if you ever feel some heavy emotions and feel like you don't have anyone to talk to, don't hesitate to reach out to us or call the numbers we have in the show notes. Thanks for listening. This has been a presentation from the Wasted Robot Network. For more information and links to other shows, please visit www.wastedrobotrecords.com podcasts.